The scripture reading for today will be coming from John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see, you are not gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Amen. Our text this morning is taken from the Gospel of John, and probably it's listed in most of your Bibles uh, as the triumphal entry. It is, it is the start of what has been come to be known as uh, the Passion Week or, or Holy Week. Jesus begins this, this week revered and, and honored and adored. But at the end of the week, we find a, a blood-soaked Jesus who has been rebuked and spit upon and, and tortured. And this Jesus that, who was once revered at the beginning of the week and praises were being sung to him, Friday finds himself hanging on a Roman cross. How, how could these events happen so, so close together? How could Jesus one day be celebrated and five days later be crucified? Doesn't, doesn't seem to make sense. People in the crowd sure didn't get it, and perhaps, perhaps some of you here are wondering the same. How could this happen? was confusion, perhaps, among the crowd that day. Most of Jesus' life, as he, his earthly life, as he engaged with the Pharisees, as he engaged with the disciples, he did leave many, many confused. His actions and his, his words left many people unsure and unclear of just who this man really was. One thing that was unmistakably clear is that Jesus demonstrated and exhibited an authority. He cast out demons. He, he healed the sick and, and even raised people from the dead. In, in fact, on the heels of our text this morning is the account of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. It was at this Point. It was at this point in Jesus' earthly ministry where you can you could probably say that the cat was let out of the bag. People now knew that there was something, that there was something different about this man Jesus. But not only that, the, the Pharisees and the, the Sadducees knew knew that it was time to end the popularity of this man from Nazareth. 
In fact, John tells us in verse 10 and 11 of chapter 12 that, that when after Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead, the, the chief priest and the elders and the Sadducees and the Pharisees wanted to put him to death. And so they go to Bethany and they say this, the chief plans made... Chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The, the Pharisees and the Sadducees wanted to put Jesus to death and, and they recognized his popularity. It, it was taking away from their popularity and, and in order to have this, to, to put an end to this, they wanted to kill Jesus. But not only kill Jesus, they wanted to kill Lazarus as well. So this is where we are when we come to our text this morning. Jesus, along with many other Jews, are, are headed up, up to Jerusalem to participate and to celebrate the Passover. Now, as I'm, I'm sure you are aware that when John is writing his gospel, that, that he is writing it after the resurrection. He, he, he writes with first-hand account details, and, um, and he was an eyewitness to these events that he is writing about. But he also fills in the blanks that he did not at first realize or understand until he walked with the resurrected Christ. Our account this morning, the, the triumphal entry that we will study this morning, is in that vein. John tells the account, but he fills in the blanks and some of the details as he now has a clearer understanding of the significance of the events that he witnessed. Look at, look at what he says in verse 16 of chapter 12. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. It is important. It is important to understand John's goal in this book. John's goal in writing his gospel. John has one goal to his gospel, and, and, he, and we find that goal in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. It says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in him. In his name. That's the goal of John. He wants us to see Christ. And so, and so, while we read this account, we need to understand and have John's goal in mind. John is pointing us somewhere, or, or more accurately, he is pointing us to someone. John points us to Jesus but I think he does so in three unique ways. As we look at the text, we will see that this account points us back. It, it points us forward and ultimately points us to the cross. It points us back. 
If, if, if you are anything like me and you were reading this text or you heard it read for you this morning, perhaps you are wondering why all the, why all the pomp and the circumstance. This does not seem to be like Jesus' style, does it? You do remember that as he traveled, as he, as he walked the roads with his disciples, that there were plenty of times where he sought to deflect attention away from himself. He would heal someone and tell them not to let anybody know. But as he now heads into Jerusalem, there is a large crowd and they are crying out to him and singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. This is a direct reference to Psalm 118. They are The crowd there is celebrating him with with shouts of joys. And and did you notice, unlike in times past, Jesus does not deflect the attention away from himself. In in, in fact, in Luke, Luke tells us that that some of the Pharisees, that as they heard Jesus' disciples praising him and calling out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, as they heard him being celebrated and praised, the Pharisees and the Sadducees told him, tell your disciples to stop, rebuke them. You know what Jesus said? I tell you, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Jesus was no longer deflecting attention away from himself. He's welcoming these these praises to him. Why? Why the change in strategy for Jesus? Why all all the excitement and this pomp and circumstance? Why now? Oh, because Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem points us back. It points us back to the Old Testament prophecy of Zechariah. We read these words in Zechariah 9 and 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. The prophet Zechariah in the ninth chapter is in the midst of declaring God's judgment on Israel's enemies. And he says about his enemy, about their enemies that although they appear rich, although they appear successful, although they are prospering, the Lord is going to strip them of their possessions and they will one day be devoured by fire. God, God would bring salvation to his people. Zechariah declares to Israel in verse 9 that God will indeed take care of his people by sending them a king, that a king would come. Now, of course, when, when Israel heard of Zechariah's declaration, when they, when they heard of this prophecy, they would have known him to be talking about the long-promised and waited-for Messiah. One the prophets spoke of, that all the prophets spoke of, the one who would come 
and fight for Israel and save her from all of her enemies. Fast forward now. Fast forward now to the triumphal entry. The the people in the crowd, don't miss this, the people in the crowd had figured it out. While they were confused before as Jesus taught and performed miracles, they now knew Jesus to be more than a prophet. They knew him to be more than a good teacher. They began to, to put all the pieces together and came to the conclusion that Jesus was the long prophesied, uh, promised Messiah. We know that because they quote, Psalm 118, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. All of Israel would have known that psalm. And you know what that psalm is labeled? It's a messianic psalm. They knew, they knew that Jesus was the Messiah. And so their actions, the the waving of the palm branches, and and as some other gospel, uh, the other gospel writers tell us, that they laid their cloaks down so so that Jesus' donkey can walk across it. Now, now they know this to be the Messiah. Can you, can you imagine their excitement and their enthusiasm? Now do you understand the shouts of, of praise? For generations, they had longed to see the one who was to come. And now, before their eyes, they are beholding the Messiah who is coming into Jerusalem. Oh, they would have been ecstatic. Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem points us back. And in pointing us back, it reminds us of God's faithfulness. Of God's faithfulness. I have often heard the the Old Testament referred to as God's promises made. And the New Testament as God's promises kept. Jesus entering into Jerusalem on a donkey confirms that statement. Look at what it says in verse 16 again. When Jesus was glorified, they remembered that these things had been written about him, about Jesus about the Messiah. John had in mind Zechariah here, but I'm sure he had a host of other Old Testament scriptures as well. Perhaps what came to mind is Isaiah 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. 7 and 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. A prophecy in the Old Testament, a promise in the Old Testament kept in the New Testament as we read Luke chapter 2 and the angel of the Lord coming to Mary. How about in Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Prophecy of Isaiah in the Old Testament 
kept in the New Testament as Jesus in John chapter 4 gets up in the temple and reads from the scroll and declares that it is he who is doing these things. Promises made. Promises kept. God is indeed faithful. These are just these are just a, a couple a couple of the promises fulfilled by Jesus. Don't gloss over this fact, brothers and sisters. It is this truth. It is this truth that should bolster your faith, that should cause you to rejoice. The the triumphal entry reminds us that God is faithful. We are prone to fear and to to worry and to be filled with anxiety. And most of those emotions stem from the fact that we don't believe that God is faithful. That he has made promises to us and he keeps his promises. We don't see him to be faithful and we don't know him to be faithful, but he is faithful. Have you thought about that? Have you looked at the promises in scripture he promises, brothers and sisters, to never leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews 13 and 5. He promises to bring your salvation to completion. John 10 and 29. Not a, no one can pluck his sheep from out of his hands. He promises to answer us when we call, Hosea 2 and 21, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. First John 1 and 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Brothers and sisters, God is faithful to meet all of our needs. Philippians 4 and 19, according to the riches in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, he's promised that he is coming again. John 14, 1 through 4, he goes to prepare rooms for you, right? In his house of many mansions. He's promised that he will come back for you, to bring you home. Brothers and sisters, God is faithful. We don't believe it, but he is. I understand the struggles. I deal with fear and anxiety myself, but I need to be reminded that God is indeed faithful. Oh, Hebrews tells us, Hebrews 10 and 23, that says that he who promised is faithful. Oh, I get up in the morning and it's hard to, to believe and to, to know and to sing the song, Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, your hand has provided. Great is your faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Oh, brothers and sisters, we look at the triumphal entry and we recognize and we realize that God's prophecy to us in the Old Testament, to the, to the saints in the Old Testament was, was kept in the New Testament. We are reminded that when he does promise, he is faithful to bring it about. 
and Jesus entering into Jerusalem on a donkey is according to his plan, according to his prophecy. He promised the Messiah would come, and he sent him. The triumphal entry not only points us back, but it points us forward as well. It points us forward. Look at verse 13. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. While those in the crowd did not understand the future, we, we come to the text and we look at the triumphal entry and get a glimpse of what is to come. We have the word of God and John's revelation to us. What is to come? We know, we know that this is, that this points to a foreshadow. It points to a foreshadow of the host of heaven praising the lamb who was slain, praising the conquering king who came and defeated all of his enemies. Look at Revelations in chapter 7, verse 9. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and, and peoples and languages, standing before the throne of the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God and who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might to our God forever and ever. Amen. Oh, we look at the triumphal entry. We come to the text with the revelation from John and points us to God's final victory over all sin, over all his enemies when around the throne there will be gathered from every tribe and tongue and nation, and they will be singing praises, waving palm branches, because the conquering king has come and conquered all of his enemies. Oh, brothers and sisters, Jesus, Jesus is a king. He enters Jerusalem in, in the regalia fitting for a king. This is, this is how kings would enter cities. They would come and uh, uh, enter the city and the, the, the people would praise him because he had, he had won victory for them and, and they would praise him in, with shouts of joy because he had triumphed over those who were seeking to oppress them. And so he should be praised. Rightly so, Jesus was indeed a king. In, in just a couple of days, he, will, he would declare it to, to Pilate. You do remember in, in John chapter 18, Pilate asked Jesus if he is the king of the Jews. And, and, and Jesus doesn't say no, but he answers. 
my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. In other words, Pilate, yes, I am a king. I am the king of kings. Oh, he was worthy of such honor and such praise because his triumphal entry points us forward. And in pointing us forward, declares to us Christ's victory, salvation for his people. Zechariah chapter 9, the prophecy of Jesus entering into, into Jerusalem, goes on to say later, verse 14, then the Lord will appear over them and his arrow will go forth like lightning. The Lord God will sound the trumpet and will march forth in the whirlwinds of the south. The Lord of hosts will protect, protect them and they shall devour and, and tread down with the sling stones, and they shall drink and roar as if with drunk, drunk with wine, and be full like a bow, drenched like the corners of the altar. On that day, the Lord, their God, will save them as the flock of his people, for like the jewels of a crown, they shall shine on his head. Oh, speaking to the great victory of our conquering king the one who came and entered into Jerusalem on a donkey. Oh, it is this pointing forward that reminds us that Christ has already secured the victory. It is this truth that we should keep in mind as we live our lives in our in our battles against the flesh and against the world and against the devil we fight knowing that Christ has already secured the victory second corinthians 2 and 14 but thanks be to god who in christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere colossians 2 and 13 and you were dead in your trespasses and the circumstances of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing them to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Oh, brothers and sisters, this is the victory. This is the, the, the victory, the, 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 the victory, the battle that Christ has won for us. This is where we trust. This is where our hope lies. Any victory, any victory that we have is in Christ. He leads us in triumphal possession. He disarms the rulers and he conquers the world. Therefore, he is the one who is to be one in whom we will praise for all eternity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. As the text says in verse 15, fear not, O daughter of Zion, your king is coming. 
They have no reason to fear. Neither do we because our king is coming and our king has already secured the victory. It points us forward. Triumphal entry points us back to the promise that God would send a king as well as points us towards the victory that Christ has secured for his people. But ultimately, ultimately, the triumphal entry points us to the cross. That is, that is the immediate context here for us. That is the immediate context. As we have mentioned, the people in the crowd that day had figured it out. They, they knew that Jesus was the Messiah. But they assumed that Jesus had come to save them from their Roman oppressors, not to save them from their sins. Jews thought the Messiah was going to come and he was going to restore the fortunes of Israel, that they were going to mount up an army and that they were going to overthrow the Roman government. And Israel would once again be this power. Why were they wrong? They missed the signs. They missed the signs while they understood that the scriptures taught that the Messiah, that the Messiah was coming. They failed to see that he was not coming seeking to gain military, military and political victory. The Messiah was coming to die. Jews indeed needed saving. They needed saving from their sins. They missed the signs. Indeed, Jesus did enter Jerusalem on that day. The triumphal entry, he did enter Jerusalem that day with the regalia of a king. Oh, but there's a striking difference than all the other kings that would have come in the same way. Kings often rode in on war horses to, to show their, their power. They rode to show that they had obtained the victory. They would be high above the people and they would receive the praises of the people. Not Jesus. Not this king. He doesn't come riding on a horse. He comes riding on a donkey. Explain his humility and his willingness to be made low. The donkey is a symbol of peace. It is a symbol of peace. Jesus was coming, demonstrating that he was going to lay down his own life. He is not going to drum up an army for a military fight. That he would turn himself over to be crucified. A king, the king of kings, would come into Jerusalem on a donkey, showing that he was willing to lay down his own life, that no one was going to take it from him. 
brings to mind Philippians 2, doesn't it? Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, declaring himself the Messiah, was ultimately pointing to his death. For Jesus as the Messiah, the true Messiah, only meant one end was coming to to be. Only one end was coming about. Namely, dying on a cross for those he came to save. There There was no other way salvation was going to come about. Jesus' triumphal entry, in essence, declares that his time was at hand. He was ready It was time for him to lay down his life. We we read this account. We, We read the triumphal entry. And like John, as he is writing it, we we know what what happens. We we know the end of the story. But think for a moment. As Jesus is entering into Jerusalem and all of the people are crying out to him and praising him and celebrating him, Jesus is the only one that knows what's coming on Friday. He is the only one that understands what's ahead of him. On Friday, he would suffer. He would be beaten, spit upon, abandoned. His father would turn his face from him. Well, the agony and the pain of the cross awaited him on Friday. Yes, yes, this was according to the plan of God. Yes, Christ knew that the victory was already secure, but that victory would only come by way of the cross. This king, this king would be beaten and stripped and hung on a Roman cross. Why did he do it, brother? Why would he continue this way? He came on a donkey, showing that that, that he was willing to lay down his own life. He knew what was ahead of him. Why would he continue to do it? Because he did it with the joy that was set before him. He did it knowing that this was the will of his Father. He did it because there was a people whom he had loved, whom he was willing to die for. Redeem. Oh, he did it for the crown of glory that awaited him. 
He had in mind, he had in mind all the, those people from every tribe and nation and tongue gathered around the throne, those whom he saved his children singing praises and glory to him forever. That's why he did it, brothers and sisters. Philippians 2 goes on to say, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of the Father. Brothers and sisters, the, the triumphal entry, the, the triumphal entry points us to a number of places. It points us back, rem- reminding us that God is faithful to keep his promises. It points us forward, reminding us that the victory has been already secured in Christ, that one day all of our enemies will be defeated points us to the cross. Jesus, riding into Jerusalem, set in motion the hope of the world, namely the King of Kings, humbling himself and dying on a Roman cross for those he came to save. Brothers and sisters, don't miss the sign. Don't miss the sign. We are a sinful people. We have offended a holy and a good God. And the Bible tells us that the king of kings entered into our world, humbled himself, and was obedient even to death, death death on a cross. And he died for those whom his father had given him before the foundation of the world. Oh, brothers and sisters, he cries out, now repent, repent, turn from your sins and believe the gospel. Jesus comes into Jerusalem, pointing us back, pointing us forward, and pointing us to the cross. Fall upon his mercy. He is indeed willing to forgive you of your sins. Amen? Let's pray.